like people can always feel like you're losing and that you're giving up, but it's it's always been for us gaining and it's always been enriching. It's it's never really felt like that we lost anything. Welcome to season three of the Surrender Podcast. I'm Craig Petty. And I'm Charlene Bella Santos. Together, we're the directors of Surrender, a collective of people and organizations carrying a message to motivate, support, and equip us to live out the radical call of Jesus amongst the margins. In this podcast, we're providing a platform for conversation and storytelling, as we hear from some friends who embody this message. While we might not always agree with everything we hear from one another, what we desperately want to do is create a space to listen and to learn and to find Jesus in the centre of it all. In this episode, Nick and Anita White, previous Surrender Conference directors, talk about the early days of surrender and their great undoing. We hear the journey of developing flourishing relationships with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Nick is now working with Global Mission Partners, and Anita has a leading role at the social enterprise Green Collect. Well, welcome, Nick and Anita, to the Surrender Podcast. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, so good to have you both as previous Surrender directors. Thought it'd be fun to interview you both, um, just to have a yarn and hear some, you know, old Surrender stories and hear some of your wisdom because I consider you as. Uh, my surrender elders and people I look up to have been privileged to journey with and learn from and walk alongside with really it's been such a pleasure uh, in my surrender journey to get to know both of you maybe just to start off with uh, can you share a bit about like where are you both currently based hang on a minute Charlene I'm just recovering emotionally from that beautiful opening thank you Wow, where are we based? Like, well, okay, we're still, we're physically, geographically based on the lands of the Murrumbullock clan, which most people might know that as um, its alternative whitefella name, which is Footscray uh, in the west of Melbourne. And um, most of what we do seems to still be sort of local in a lot of ways. Um, Anita's working with a social enterprise locally, and I am working from home a tremendous amount. I mean, I was even before COVID, so I kind of, I don't know, I'm pretty used to that. But, um, yeah, we still love the local kind of stuff around here as well and all the community connections. Um, and I'm now working part-time for um, the Indigenous Ministry Programs of Global Mission Partners, GMP, which is, for those that don't know, that's the Churches of Christ, all their aid and development work mixed in with their some of their historical kind of mission work, I guess. Mm all under the one umbrella. So, um, yeah, I'm a part of that big happy family. How about you, Needs? Anything you want to share about um, yourself as well? Yeah, well, we've been living in Footscray for nearly 20 years, I think. So, um, and worked locally for most of that time. So, yeah, we've, uh, the kids have had a really good connection with the local primary school and um, have, have still enjoy, really enjoy living in this area and connecting with their friends. We just had a graduation down at the park last week for um, year 12. So that was pretty good. And yeah, the, I think the relationships that we've built kind of over the time here have um, been a really good connecting point for the kids. I think the diversity here has been something that they've been really blessed and privileged to to experience, something that was probably very different for Nick or I growing up. And I think they've really, you know, they just love the the community here so um yeah and i'm currently i've been working with green collect 
for a long time in different roles, even when I was working with Surrender, I had a small role there, but um, mm. currently kind of head of retail operations. Uh, yeah, so based in Braybrook. So it's about 10, 10 minutes from here. So definitely Westie on top of Westie. Nice. Go West. I'm Westie too. <laughs> and can you tell us, like, how did you even get involved with Surrender in the first place? Uh, we Nick dobbed me in. But no, Good work, Nick. <laughs> was like, I don't know. You know, this is really strange because we're following on from like Ash and Angie, right? So it's kind of like being in descending order. Once you get the gurus, like Ray, Uncle Ray, and, <laughs> and then you get down to like Ash and Angie, the kind of like, you know. Anyway, there used to be the story that go around was that, you know, God loves you and Ash Barker has a plan for your life. It was going to, something like that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, we were, I don't know, I just guess we were part of that plan. At one stage, we were. Uh, involved in a, it was a hard to describe, but I guess like a house church amongst the um, drug addiction issues and street sex workers and so on in St Kilda. And that was a little thing called Matthew's Party. And alongside that, we'd started a little drop-in centre and a safe place for some of those same people called St Kilda Gatehouse, which some people mm. might have heard of. Mm. So we were just a messy community down there in in the inner city of Melbourne for, for quite a few years, but we were still affiliated with Churches of Christ and so as you know and we both started I guess around the same time and I don't know how we managed to track you know next to each other but without really having a lot to do with each other but a few years later we did connect up and you know was really generous and supportive to us in our community they're very life-giving as you can imagine I guess we had some um, people in our community uh, and little did we know of course it included us but people who were you know uh, doing it pretty tough and and on the margins um in ex pretty extreme ways so you know gave us uh, a language for that it gave us a place of understanding for that it gave us a theology for all of that stuff um mm. and in return we gave them our <laughs> we gave them our lives no, no, no. <laughs> um, we, what yeah, a deal it was a deal a bargain <laughs> <laughs> not quite no not quite i still remember there was a board meeting i think we'd moved to footstray we discerned that some of that work was coming to an end for us um for different reasons, but we still felt really compelled to community-based faith kind of work. And we connected up with a, an amazing young sort of Salvo community, reminded us of ourselves kind of 10 years before that out here in Footscray. And then anyway, long story short, I guess, I, I remember it was a funny cobbled together, you know, board meeting here in the back room and somebody said, oh, you know, we're going to do this big sort of thing, bigger thing. And we're going to invite, it's going to be an invitation. It's going to be a gift to the wider church. And it's going to be this thing, and we all mucked around with names, and somehow landed with surrender. And and the next thing was, oh, who's going to actually organise? And I said, oh, I need to do that. No worries. <laughs> of course, she wasn't anywhere around, so I just <laughs> fully dobbed her into it. And at some stage, I don't know where they made up a job. It was one person part time job to be a you know, kind of resource worker, and we said, oh, let's do that together. I'm like, yeah, you know. So between us, for the first couple of years, we shared one part time you know, wage job. And it took us a while to work out that we were getting, we were, because, you know, you know workers commit to being under the poverty line, right? So, mm -hmm. and then we worked out that we were earning less than you know workers under the <laughs> Anyway, it was amazing. That's kind of the, the, that's part of the origin story of how we got involved, I guess. And then um, yeah. we found ourselves working as a real team. Anita, just the absolute organisational engine of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Ash was really the first, I guess, vision director for sure. Like it was his real and, and you know's um, kind of vision to be an invitation, a space uh, that welcomed or shared a message, a bigger kind of gathering that shared a theology and a message of um, this solidarity and this journey 
towards life, but also towards the margins, you know, death to ourselves at the same time, that dichotomous kind of theology that we all know so well. So that was, yeah, I guess that was the origin story to it. And somehow I kind of ended up taking over more and more of Ash's stuff and becoming, I guess, like the creative kind of director. And can you tell us, I guess, how Surrender began in regards to having such a strong presence uh, of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders uh, in our conferences and gatherings? Yeah, again, it goes to a lot to do with, you know, at that time when we, they were like a bigger brother, bigger sister to us uh, in a ministry and community sense. Um, we joined into a lot of the things that they were sort of already running, camps and what have you, and our community would come along, our little struggling little community and be 10 of us bedraggled kind of crew <laughs> but they always had they always prioritized an indigenous voice in just about everything they did and and i remember that was our introductions to people like Annie jean and ray uncle ray um vicky walker of the catholic indigenous ministries here in melbourne um dean and michelle whiten who are, have been associated with churches of christ indigenous ministry for many many years and and part of my story and my confession is even though in our ministry in st kilda we'd come across and met and I started to get to know some Indigenous crew that were living in a, and spending a lot of time in the parks of St Kilda. My personal emotional kind of confession is I, I was gripped with fear a lot of the time. It just felt like such a different culture and such a different community. I was never sure where I, where I stood. Mm. Um, and interestingly, I jumped forward 20 odd years and I, I just, I still hear that from a lot of uh, folk who, whose heart's desire is to connect with Indigenous crew, but they just feel this kind of um, almost being paralysed by a mixture of fear and not knowing and, and of the unknown. Uh, anyway, I can identify with that. It was really part of my kind of journey. But um, subsequently to that, uh, and particularly meeting people like um, Billy Williams and Kyle Slab and, and others, they, there was overwhelmingly um, a spirit, a deep cultural value and as well as a spirit of inclusion acceptance and belonging that was all about how do we actually connect not looking for what separates us and what divides us but how do we what connects us what common ground can we find how do we invite and and how do we stay strong or who know who we actually are and not lose our identity in, in the midst of that as well and not be sort of consumed or subsumed into something else some people that might know the welcome to country kind of ceremony that we have really started around that too. And around, particularly around the Bundjalung mob that came down and Kyle and the whole Slab family that were kind of, I guess, pretty safe and secure in who they were. And they responded both culturally and relationally to the welcome. And that was, that opened the door for so many others. I guess the mm. next, culturally it was almost um, a whole lot of other cultural kind of groups and diverse groups that identified that. And then finally, it was probably those of us from a dominant cultural thing who kind of was looking around like like kind of lost chickens, you know. Oh, we don't know. <laughs> what do we do, you know? What do I say? But we still were also still invited and included into that to be able to respond out of generosity and humility. But, yeah, I think operationally <laughs> what, what we did was we, um, we obviously had a, an upside-down kingdom model. And so we modelled mm. that in everything that we did so that, um, the people that spoke that, that you know, um, you didn't, like if you contributed financially or whatever, that didn't ensure that you would, would necessarily, you know, get um, priority spot on stage, which is what people were kind of used to mm -hmm. and that we would give voice to people who didn't normally get heard. And we were able to really navigate and hold that space and get a lot of um on understanding and it, that went to everything accommodation who was in the nicer more comfortable accommodation like all of that all the way through to people being 
um, picked up from the airport and we had, you know, people had such meaningful kind of like connections and lifelong connections just from driving someone from the airport and back. Nick Stad, I think, is probably one of the most uh, famous taxi drivers. But, um, yeah, I think that we, you know, that was just really important to us and we were able to create a really a, a, um, an environment that was really um, equitable and genuine and, um, yeah, where people felt, felt really valued. And I think that that opened up um, people's, you know, hearts to, um, yeah, to, to further connection. That, that just grew the connections and more and more people wanted to come every year from, you know, different Indigenous communities. And, it, yeah, it was just a very harmonious thing, I think, how the different communities, because people have different, you know, expressions of faith, some more, more traditional, some more, um, yeah, more on the kind of the radical side but it all seemed to kind of weave I think it was a word Charlene wasn't it that we always used that we that things were woven together mm. um you know it didn't didn't always quite go to plan but we also engaged the the surrender community in that so things wouldn't quite run to plan particularly on certain nights and we'd say that's actually okay you know like that we can have that that creating that space for that the room for that flexibility and um, for things to change and not be quite, you know, um, your husband would have been one of them, like um, <laughs> our, our lovely um, tech guys. And they and we, go, we know that, you know, you've had a run sheet for three months, but that's all changed. Um, <laughs> now, here's the USB and this is what's going to happen now. And, and I think because people were, loved the space and, and were open and, you know, we just, we just kind of went with it and that that flexibility was was really important too like holding yeah holding that intention of things being really well organized and and that but also being able to have the room for things to to move as as we needed i guess we were we'd experienced maybe this blessing ourselves through you know god really sharing it with us but we found that that really deep value i mean who knew that actually getting out of the way was probably the number one the number one thing that actually facilitated a lot of this. So, so many Indigenous folk, as Nita was saying, would would say to us later and years later, saying, "Oh, surrender is a safe place for us." You know, there are many places that aren't safe, and when you can't see that, you can't see it, I guess. But all with it, we knew the impulses and the deeper kind of value stuff that we were operating from. Uh, I guess as Anita was kind of talking about a little bit there too, was that we felt very much that it was the the movement of us was to more was more about getting out of the way and creating space. Or making at least vacating, not filling it up as we might always tend to do. And, and of course, that was filled with mm. lots of uh, like that's just one story. It was filled with lots of beautiful kind of chaos. But you start to sort of see other other outcomes other than just you know scintillating kind of teaching or you know um, some incredible kind of new concept or idea. You actually start to see other beautiful outcomes occur. Um, very powerful ceremonial kind of symbolic outcomes of restoration of place and of honouring and respecting and those kind of things. So I think genuinely some of that was kind of happening despite us, despite us but that deeper, happening mm. at that deeper level was that idea of, yeah, of the journey of kenosis actually being, trying to actually literally enact that by prioritising voices that you don't normally get to hear from. And it's not that other, it's not that voices you normally hear from are anything bad with them, it's just that sometimes they can feel our spaces and we and we can get a lot of opportunities to hear them but um so it, it takes something else it takes a different kind of energy and a different a different value approach to actually um hear from the voices and the, and hear the 
sounds and see the things that you might not otherwise uh, get to see or hear. How has what you learned in working in that space through Surrender Conference deepened the way that you've lived in that space? Oh, there's a very literal answer. At one stage, I can't remember what year, it's all a blur, but I do remember, I think, 26 different bodies lying sleeping in our house at the same time, <laughs> in every room, every mattress, every couch, every chair had a body. <laughs> So it's changed. It's literally changed the way <laughs> sleep um, Yeah, that was an amazing year. That was that was at the peak craziness. I think. I think that was the year we started up Grass Tree, and that the Melbourne and the AEF and Tony and Francine had also had a training, a special sort of a youth Indigenous chaplaincy training program on. So, and then that was all. Those two things were in the lead up in the week in the lead up to surrender. So it's like three major events on, <laughs> on top of each other. Um, Why not? Yeah, why not? Why not? So, <laughs> and it's also instead of there was a kind of generosity, I guess, of a, just an incredible generosity of spirit and reciprocity that's just called us into it. You know, um, we are we are fully qualified, paid up members of kind of you know dominant white cultural kind of you know Balanda, Wajala, Gaba whitefellas. You know, and that means that we kind of we have this strange kind of value of just respecting our. You know, and it's good at certain times, but having this real respect for our private spaces and whatever, sanctuaries and all that. But just that opening up of our home, mm. having people stay with us for short term, long term, any term. Mm. I don't know. It felt like a, it felt at times like an investment in something much bigger and deeper and the returns of which we didn't even know about until the same thing, you know, this deep, and it's a cultural thing at work too, uh, with subsequently kind of learned, but I kind of believe it's a God-given cultural thing to a lot of our Indigenous brothers and sisters who are looking for that, you know, to say it's, yeah, when we're when you're with us, you know, it's our job to look after you and love you and care for you. And, and we felt compelled the same way. And it's, you you actually do become family. You become connected and family. It's not a, it's not a transactional thing. It's not a, it's not even a functional thing. It's just a, a reality of your relationship. And um, I guess it's probably the number one thing I can really think of. There's so many other things, you know, the way we mm. go about business and the way we work and, what we prioritise and all of that shifted a, a huge amount. But for me, I just think about that. I guess a lot of people call it hospitality or something, but our home, I think, I don't know, maybe our home has become a bit of a hotel sort of a stopover point. For, but I really <laughs> love that we love that, you know, so many mob Indigenous crew can just feel like, yeah, they can drop in or stay or come around and be a part and, and know it's um, they'll be looked after. And Because then we know the same thing. We've, we've had the privilege of going all around the country and just knowing we can do the same thing, drop into these communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, not be strangers. Yeah. yeah. I think it totally changed our, our lives. I think I think through relationships where we've been, the the com- communities we've had a privilege of being a part of. And I think, you know, we do, we always see that as, as a privilege and um, that we've been, um, yeah, invited into spaces like, uh, you know, far away um, that other people, you know, might not, you know, have the privilege to, to visit. That's wonderful. So your sense of vocation has been caught up in this space as well of connecting with Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people, including them in your life as well as ministry. But how is it sort of unpacked to be part of your sense of life calling? Well, mate, that's a slightly big question. Uh, (laughs) I know, think about that a lot, Craig. It's a a really good question. Um, I think... uh, Kind of stumbling into, or not particularly, I'm not particularly, Nita's always been much more intuitive than I have been. Um, 
and she's intuited a lot of stuff that's that we've acted into you know so i guess you know at some level it's the spirit connecting with her spirit and i've learned to sort of follow that uh and act on her intuition whereas i tend to act a little bit more out of um an idea or a concept or even an I kind of like the idea of a sort of a value thing that I've tried to sort of put that in. I've tried to make circumstances fit that, that to sort of cause, mm. you know, cause things to occur, I guess. So it might be putting yourself in a certain place and then seeing what actually happens. I guess it's a bit like going overseas and plopping mm. in an unknown context and then allowing the questions and the connections that come out of that. Um, that's how I've sort of operated. So that's kind of both of those approaches have informed what it's meant for us both in our ongoing vocations but it's we're way beyond like we i'm i'm i shouldn't actually i hopefully no one from gmp hears this but i'm close to unemployable now i think because i'm because <laughs> it's sort of way it's also <laughs> so far beyond job descriptions and and you know definable kind of roles and tasks when you're so you're kind of led by relationship and you're led by deep current value kind of currents flowing often below the surface and with and i hopefully so many you know people hear this the right way but so much of that's kind of countercultural, where so much stuff is prescribed, and you know, and nothing against that, but it just feels like that's it's been a great undoing for us. It's sort of undone a lot of the ways in which we thought things were meant to happen, the way you're meant to achieve things and make things occur and happen. You know, see outcomes happen. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great paradox and um, mm. beautiful life giving paradox that it's sort of been so much about undoing. Uh, mm. being, and being undone at the same time at the deepest levels, you know. And I see we see resonance with the, the deep theological and biblical narrative around that, that um, losing our life to find it, it has become, uh, I guess it's just become more real and deeper. And I, I hope and expect that it will become more real and more deeper, you know, because uh, we just feel like kids in the journey to some degree. But the people who don't see us and don't know us, we're, Anita and I are in our early 20s. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so sorry that I involuntarily came out. <laughs> People can always feel like you're losing and that you're giving up, but it's it's always been for us gaining, and it's always been enriching. It's it's never really felt like that we lost, you know, anything. Like you know, in in any way. Like I remember Leroy Barber saying that to us one. Or he spoke, you know, and he, I think he kind of talked about um, that you would always be, you know, enriched and gain and, and be blessed rather than, you know, feeling like you're completely losing. And, it's, and you hear those messages and they're deeply encouraging when you meet fellow travellers in this space, yeah. you know. You guys all know this and others listening will know this. It's, it's, it's so, I don't know what the words are, camaraderie. I immediately had a flashing image of Al Hirschen and... Uh, Mike Frost talking about communitas or something like that. I don't know mm. if that's what communitas is, but um, I don't know if anyone's disturbed by that. But, but it is, it's deeply and kind of encouraging. But do you remember also, like there's times when it you definitely experience a kind of cost and so on. And I, now at this stage of our life, surprisingly in our mid-20s, um, <laughs> <laughs> multiply that. We're like old people, really. You know, like, it's like we've been it's living. It's amazing, yeah. We're, we're, <laughs> it's like we've been So strange. <laughs> what a paradox. Old souls and young bodies. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in this, this stage of our life, um, finally we're realising that, you know, that, that sort of the, the pain of what you, the loss that you go through in your younger things when you're acting out of value and you're kind of in that quid pro quo 
ego's flying along fully and you think you're being the best Christian on earth, you know. Um, God still is coming to us in nothing but love and undoing mm. us at the same time. Mm. I don't know, do you want to say, remember what Dave Andrews said to you that morning, that early morning thing? Yeah, I was just going to say that, though, like, I think that, it, you know, there was a lot of sacrifice and pain and it wasn't all, you know, super easy. And I think that I can remember, you know, at six o'clock one morning in the middle of running surrender being just my heart was feeling like really um just so much wanting to everyone to experience what we experience and and I was talking to Dave about that and I said why you know why aren't more people kind of like engaged and connected and seeing what we're we're seeing and and he was he just said to me when you know you you live and work on the margins you'll always be marginalized yourself and I was like yeah I was like thanks Dave that's super helpful at six o'clock in the morning um but yeah I think that that always stayed with us that we had become so immersed that we had become on the margins you know ourselves within kind of the the church kind of context and we were the clarion voice always calling to the church and and bringing people on on that same journey and that that was really um important to us we were really passionate about that and we did see and we have I, I can't believe how the landscape has changed since you know um this first surrender in 2004 like it's totally different now the connection engagement and understanding of all sorts of things is, is so different and that's that's incredibly encouraging always more to go but I think that that hopefully the gap is kind of like is not as wide as it was or that we felt it was back then. Mm-hmm. Over to you. What have you heard? What have you noticed? What have you surrendered? How will you take action? Surrender partners with dozens of organisations and initiatives. Find them and take action at surrender.org.au.